Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Little Wars, the uh, the official gaming podcast of uh, not talking about video games unless it's Ace Combat Seven because I love Ace Combat. I am your I am your co-host Mongoose, and with me today is my effervescent and always entertaining co-host Jack Caronet. Hey, yo, buddy, still alive? Such a terrible band, but I am I am alive. Yes. Nice. Nice. Uh, are you talking about Evanescence or Evanescence? Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I probably misheard you. Anyway, yes. Hello. It's like effervescent, like uh, like like carbonated soda. You know. <laughs> is that what is that what that means? Yeah, maybe effer- if they're banned after car out of the feeling that soda makes when it's carbonated. Well, Evanescence is the band. Uh, effer effervescence. So it's E F F E R V E S M T. Effervescence of a liquid giving off bubbles fizzy, and it also means vivacious and enthusiast and enthusiastic. Oh well, I feel like I'm very enthusiastic for this week, actually. Yes, you're very vivacious and enthusiastic, hence why I use the word. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, who talks about who talks about games anymore, right? Like, what uh, are we I mean, we, we do. Oh. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's uh, that's that's all that. I, I just, I'm gonna say um in front of every single one of my sentences now. But uh, yeah, that's all that. So have you had any good gaming moments this week? Any epic gamer moments? <clears throat> well, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Epic gaming moments? Uh, no, actually, no. Ouch! No. Ouch! No victory royales. No victory royals. Uh, I'm trying to get a game together with. Uh, my friend who plays Blood Angels, uh, because I got the Magnus model for uh, Christmas, I think. Yeah, Christmas. I was going to challenge him to just uh, 445 points of Blood Angels versus Magnus, because that's how much Magnus costs. So. Oh yeah, that'd be that'd be an interesting uh, game there. Yeah, he can he can take whatever he wants, you know, and uh, yeah. So yeah, that that was that was kind of that was kind of my we, we talked about that. We I I also am uh, dragging my feet on starting this this Discord based uh, game in Savage Worlds. So I need to start that. I'll probably start that today. We're doing individual role plays with people, and then we're going to bring them into the same world. So it should be should be pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, in all honestly. Or sorry, in all honesty, I really don't like it when people kind of drag their feet on starting up, uh, starting up games that way. Like whenever we're going to do the individual role play for every, because it just takes forever. You know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the one of the issues is is that a couple of our players were dragging their feet. So you know, and then and then I had some stuff come up in real life, and things are getting things are getting a little things are getting a little insane. So I'm just going to I'm just going to try to you know get through it and you know see where it takes me. And if you know if we uh, if we fail to uh, if we if we have a failure to launch, then uh, so be it. But at least you know at least I got to make a few characters and a and a story in Savage Worlds. That's that's what yeah. I'm taking out of it. Yeah, I. I mm, mm. 
I hate I, I like I hate it when uh when players do that thing where they like drag their feet on stuff. Like that's when you kind of need to issue an ultimatum. Like you want to play the game or you don't. Like come on, man. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not. I, I mean, I'm I'm pulling the Tonka here. It's like a hard twenty percent my fault. So, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, so Mr. Kikimura, did you have any uh, epic and based uh, gaming moments this week? I mean, I just did the D and D game I normally do, so that wasn't a I guess epic and based gaming moment. It was the usual. Uh, so it was a decent excuse to get drunk on a Friday night. And embarrass myself in front of people that I actually respect while trying to play D anD D. So that was oh, a uh, that's always a good time. So yeah, uh, I've I've always had alcohol based problems while uh, while doing that kind of thing because you know for me at least when you gather around the table it's really a chance to just like kick back uh, instead of going out to a degenerate bar where you pick up skanks and, you know, doing that kind of stuff, you, you hang around your friends and you, uh, you know, you, you roll some dice and you, you know, maybe drink some, drink some liqueurs of, of, of kinds, you know, and, uh, just, you know, have a blast inside. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that, uh, you know, getting, getting drunk is necessarily bad or having fun is necessarily bad really unless you know you actually want to play the game yeah well it's it, it can be fun uh but yeah all that all that aside we've got uh we've got some stuff we want to talk about this week we got um we got those rules for sanguinius like we were talking about last week although if i'm honest i don't know that much about the 40k rule set anymore and i'm looking at this it, it all just it seems familiar, but at the same time, it's really weird and alien. It all just kind of run, runs together. Yeah. No, it, it's like it looks like it's um seventh edition or sixth edition, but it, it just doesn't really. Uh, is it is this actually like seventh edition compatible or no? Because this mm-hmm. looks like seventh. Mm-hmm. It, it, oh, it's seventh edition. Well, yeah. So <laughs> I remember back when uh, regular forty k moved to eighth edition. Uh, there was a lot of buzz around what Horus Heresy was going to do because uh, in in GW's uh, great wisdom, they do not communicate that well between different uh, sections of their company. So Forge World had no idea that they were moving additions. <laughs> allegedly i i should say allegedly they had no idea that they were moving additions so you know obviously you know if if you're in forge world you have a choice you could either completely negate all of the expensive black books that everyone bought you know and negate a ton of other stuff and uh you know cheat uh, you know quick quick cheat cards and everything or you could take 7th edition and rework it a little bit and release it as the Horus Heresy rule set, right? And I was actually really excited when this happened because I I said to myself, you know, well what what if what if they took 7th edition, kept, you know, maybe 75% of the mechanics around it and simplified 25% of it down to, you know, remove like 80% of the of the uh, universal rules and all this other stuff that people had problems with 7th edition, re-release it, 
and have it be compatible with with the black books and the red books that they had released, right? And to just give a quick summary, a black book, uh, Forge World released two kinds of books. They release black books and red books. Black books are these thick volumes that uh, you know that have re- that are printed on really nice, pa- really nice paper, and uh, they're leather bound. And uh, they've got a, a ton of lore in them, as well as the rules. And these are the main books that Forge World sells for Horus Heresy. The red bo- books are pared down books that just have the rules in them, along with a few snippets of lore. The red books would be would be closer to a codex, and the black books would be closer to like a codex and a novel put together. So, so you can under you can understand that if Forge World went completely over to Eighth Edition and just abandoned everything that came before it, people would be a little pissed, you know, that they bought all of these books and materials and everything. So they released the Horus Heresy rule set, and the rule set, for me at least, and I think a lot of other. 30k players can attest to this they really didn't address a lot of the issues that we had they did clarify a few things um such as the uh uh i don't i don't know there there, there were there were a few issues in seventh edition that didn't really get specific rules like there was something about grenades uh the rules didn't make it clear if uh, a squad that had grenades equipped to every person could throw all you know could use grenades in the fight phase or whatever i remember that one remember that that? oh yeah there was this uh, there was this thing it's like someone can fire it was worded extremely vaguely if i remember correctly and it was like it was like you could either like throw one grenade or everybody could throw and there were like endless discussions like well would it be like people would be like well in normal doctrine only one person throws a grenade and then there were other people who were like yeah, but theoretically, everybody could throw a grenade, and then it would just devolve from right, there. Right, like like everyone's equipped with a grenade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they rewrote it to say that uh, in range, like like if you're throwing a actually throwing a grenade, then only one person can throw it. But if you're in melee, then everybody can use grenades, basically. So if you have a grenade, you can use it as a melee weapon. Well, which is, I mean, which is kind of weird I'm, i don't know i'm gonna have to I'm, i don't know now, now that i think about it i haven't read it in in close to a year now so maybe maybe i should go back and reread it and to get well, a clarification the, uh, if i'm if i uh, sorry the, you could always everybody could always use a crack grenade against a vehicle like that was a that was a staple yeah like that was why you bought crack grenades was to fight vehicles but i remember that yeah in so, so now a huge issue but I, so I think now, it's kind of an understatement to say, oh, 7th edition just had a few issues and they were going to fix them. I was like, no, 7th yeah, no. edition was the issue. <laughs> well, it was 6th. Well, well, right. So they, <laughs> so they patched it. They, they, they put a Band-Aid over a few things. But overall, I did not feel as though they addressed a lot of the core issues. So, so, so Mongoose, but before, before I get into this, do you have any, any parts of sixth slash seventh edition that you really enjoyed? Um, like the, that you thought were good for the game? Okay. Well, uh, that's a difficult question because yeah. I, I started playing in sixth and I mean, okay. 
It's difficult for me to sort of disaggregate what in 6th edition I liked was just things I liked about 40k generally or what was I actually liked about the edition. 7th edition, what, its problem was that it was just a patch to 6th. So I can see why uh, this being a, a patch to 7th uh, would, would be a problem because the baseline way they, they did a lot of things in 6th edition were, were bad. I think the uh, idea of hull points in Warhammer really helped the way they were doing vehicles in fifth. It kind of brought them into into line with most of the other units. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree with I, that. But I, I just can't see. Okay, for example, <laughs> the flyers. The flyers were bad. Overwatch was <laughs> so so every, so everything was bad. This gets a zero out of ten from mongoose. Well, let me let me. I'm trying to I'm trying to go through the rulebook in my mind. Right? Yeah. I'm thinking. Okay, flyers bad. Overwatch bad. Uh, <laughs> I guess it was kind of cool that you could, you know, choose if you bought a power weapon. You could choose like which power weapon it was, but. When you look at it, nobody took power spears. Everybody chose like a power axe or a power sword, depending yeah. on their army. Uh, if you were guard, you chose like the power axe always. Um, but the other thing about that was when they updated the guard codex, they increased the cost of the power weapons to be the same as the cost for a space marine when previously they'd been cheaper because guardsmen can't swing as hard. <sighs> it was a mess. Um so uh, I, I didn't even like the allies system. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Oh yeah, um, it was pretty weird. Uh, even casters, even the psychers were handled horribly. I, I, I. Mm. <laughs> 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 what did you like I'm about? Asking, I, what, what, mongoose? Tell me what 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 appeals to you about dog shit. Please just just give me a <laughs> quick rundown. What about <laughs> turds is entertaining to you, Mongoose? Well, uh, uh, I guess uh, I guess that they're not. They don't. They don't have AIDS. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, sixth edition forty k wasn't AIDS. It has that going for it. It's got. It's got what? I'm sorry, you cut. It, it, it wasn't AIDS. It wasn't AIDS. That's it wasn't that's got that going for it. Yep. So, so I, I I've thought a lot about this since since I play 40k and uh, and I've decided that um, not necessarily the ballistic skill uh, system but the weapon skill system and melee combat generally speaking I thought were pretty good and and I say this because in eighth edition I really miss the ability to. Uh, say challenge people to duels you know like like you have a you have a character and you can challenge another character to a duel and you know there was Uh, was a whole system around that but wasn't that a that wasn't that a thing prior to uh yeah most likely and 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 they got and they got rid of it in eighth edition so (sighs) well why they yes see that's the thing is that was actually one of the cool things about 40k that made it feel more medieval was like the dueling but now that they've got the lack of dueling is lame. I mean, like, because certain armies really, really benefited from it. Like, orcs and marines could do really well in duels. Well, like, an Imperial Guard army, that was kind of how you could fight them, is you could you could call out in duels and try to force duels on their, um, whatchamacallits, on all their characters that they needed, because they'd always be running all these psychers, tech priests, and commissars, and this and that. Mm-hmm. 
like I was saying, the dueling was is kind of how you would deal with armies like Guard, uh, certain other armies like uh, Eldar. Eldar had a lot of characters in him, and Tau had those Ethereals, and those were all guys you could kind of get out of units and kill them by dueling. And the Guard would have like a Blade of Sergeants as a as a strategy to counteract that, and there were ways you could kind of work around it. But all in all, I think it added an interesting element to the game that not a whole lot of other games have. And because 40k has a lot of characters and armies can take a lot of like either unnamed generic characters or named characters, it really sort of enhanced that game mechanic in a way that, you know, made the game feel more fun, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, 40k without dueling is just an assault-focused uh, bolt action with a less interesting rule set in my opinion. Oh yeah, I I mean that's essentially what it is now. Uh I, I I'd also like to point out the weapon skill system because that they did away with in eighth edition as well. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, if you have a three up weapon skill, that means that you hit your opponent on a three up. Whereas in uh seventh edition, uh the the chance of you hitting the other unit or character depended on their weapon skill versus your weapon skill right so right. if both what we- if both weapon skills are four then you're then you're hitting on four i can i explain that a little bit better yeah go uh, ahead okay so the way weapon skills in warhammer 40k used to work for every edition prior to eighth pretty much was there you'd have a weapon skill i think of like one to ten and there was this chart and on and on the chart it had an x-axis and a y-axis uh, and the x-axis would basically be your weapon skill and the y-axis would be your opponent's. And so you'd say, I have a weapon skill of three, my opponent has a weapon skill of four, and you'd go up the chart and across the chart and you'd find a little square and that'd give you the, the dice roll you needed to roll to hit that opponent. Mm-hmm. If they were the same, it was like a four. If the, they were like one to two higher than you, it was like a three. And it, it went it went up and down. It was comparative. Now, it had its advantages and disadvantages. The advantage was that like, two characters that were really, really good would still meet each other at, at near parity in terms of their ability to fight each other mm-hmm. as opposed to hitting each other a lot. So it was kind of realistic in that sense. But one of the problems with it was that it unless you had the thing memorized or, or memorized kind of how it worked, you really, really, really spent a lot of time looking up that chart. And uh, in earlier editions, characters with lower weapon skills couldn't hit guys with like a high weapon skill like seven or eight in combat at all. Yeah, but I also think that that is that was that was a neat little way of. You know, it, it it's it's extra consideration when you're building your army. So you know, you're building your army, and you and you suddenly realize, wait a second, I don't, I, I I should probably fit somebody with a high weapon skill in here. Otherwise, his, you know, his melee dedicated squad is just going to you know maul me. So I I, I thought I thought it was a really neat mechanic that that they just they they just up and you know threw into the trash and. I'm kind of still a little uh, a little peeved about that. In-depth melee combat has always been one of Warhammer 40K's strengths. A lot of other games have really a lot more simplistic combat, like melee combat systems, and, and that's an advantage and kind of a disadvantage in a way. That's one of the things I always liked and hated about the game. I played a more shooty army, but combat took such a long time and it was so complicated. Uh, games like Flames of War. Flames of War 3rd Edition was a very complicated edition, and it had pretty in-depth combat, but at the end of the day, it was a lot simpler than Warhammer's. 
because uh, it was just you rolled a hit mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. skill rating. Yeah, and I, I think they saw this, and I, I I think they did make a conscious effort to attempt to do that to pare it down a little bit and make it much like these other games but but i still think i see that's and that and that's another thing that the horus heresy rule set to bring it back to that did not do well as it did not uh it did not make it so that combat flowed better you know because because the other thing about it is that ballistic skill also used that system except it didn't have you didn't have any opposed uh rating right you just had to translate a number on the sheet to another number for no particular reason whatsoever. You know, I think the better way to do that and the way I'd handle it, if you wanted a more comparative combat rating is, is to give you both uh, either a die type or a die bonus. Like you add this mm-hmm. much to your role and then have you roll off. Like your opponent has to make a defensive roll every time you swing at him. Uh, and if his defensive roll ties or is higher. Yeah. Much like savage worlds or something like that. Yeah. Well, some games have that. I know Dark Heresy has parrying. It's it's difficult to go in. It's difficult to go into, especially if we're trying to be rather vague about it, which we are, because we don't want to turn this into a 40k rules discussion podcast. Because the <laughs> yeah. Warhammer 40k rules set is actually more boring than most academic sub subjects, like unironically. So, <laughs> uh. yeah. So. So yeah, so that's kind of the that's kind of the history of the Horus Heresy, and and because of this, most most people, I don't know, I honestly I haven't checked my local FLGS, but I'm fairly certain that nobody plays Horus Heresy anywhere ever. I, again. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I've seen people play uh, games that don't exist anymore. I see people play games that aren't even like in the store. I see people play board games more often than I see people play Porous Heresy. I went to a like primary Warhammer 40k store that wasn't even the local Magic the Gathering store at all. There wasn't Magic the Gathering there for like a long time. I mean, they're bringing it in like, but they started bringing it in like over the past year. But like pr- even prior to that, I saw more people playing EDH Magic the Gathering than I saw them playing Horus Heresy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, b- because it's it's kind of annoying because uh because there's a lot of really interesting like the, in the books they give you a lot of really cool ideas. You know, there there are tons of rules for like fortresses and uh uh you know, um like bases or strongholds or bunkers or whatever. That is yet another problem with sixth edition. <laughs> <laughs> the building rules. Yeah, yeah, the building rules were pretty pretty bad, but I mean like you read about these in the books and you're like, "Wow, man, I really want to play one of these games." And then you're like, "Oh wait, right. I I'm, I'm going to be playing alone because nobody plays this game anymore." <laughs> pretty so. much. I mean, yeah. So, I would I would still say you should if if you're a fan of 40K, I I mean planning on getting the black books over the course of over the course of time. Uh, but Av, beyond that point, um, here's the thing. Uh, I think we've said pretty much everything there is to say about how awful 6th edition has always been. Hmm. And the bandages that were put on it. Uh, yeah, it's 7th edition. And some of the flaws of the 8th edition. Um, here's something I was actually tossing around this week that, that'd be interesting to talk about just a little bit. Uh, hmm. How do you roleplay modern military combat and make it interesting? 
modern military combat? Explain. Okay, so one of the things that um, I've I talked to some veteran guys. I've read some memoirs. I, I, I'm you know I'm not around. You know I'm not a real marine. I didn't fight in Vietnam while you were holding that twangy guitar or whatever. You know, I uh, I'm a I'm a, I'm just a dude with some opinions on the internet. But one of the things that the U.S. military does is that they have. Um, they basically done it so that like the average soldier just waits to run into enemies and calls it an artillery strike. But as we know, that's boring. Yeah. Because it's, bo- it's boring to role play because you just sit there, you call the radio and then boom, somebody explodes and then doom, you're done. Woohoo. Nobody likes that. Bing, bing, wahoo. Bing, that's bing, pretty wahoo. much the, the military. Bing, bing, wahoo. I guess. <laughs> boom, boom, wahoo, I guess. Ah, there you go. Boom, boom, wahoo. Yeah. So, so how would you, how would you even go about thinking of doing this? Would you, would, would it be more of like a commander type, type role or ordeal? If I was honest, I'd just tell you to do the, uh, I'd just tell you to do recon. Recon is more heroic. Yeah. And, uh, and all that. So I, I do recon, I do this, I do that. But honestly, Try to stray away from realism if you're going to do a modern military game, and if you do it, try to do it in a. Try if you're going to do a modern military game, just look at the way World War II was fought. Watch some World War II movies, and then just do that with automatic weapons, as opposed to actually trying to be realistic, because realism is boring in that case. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Realism is boring. In some ways. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean that's that's like the real question is how realistic do you want to get? I mean, you could you could even do something like a Metal Gear Solid uh game where you start out as like a recon as as like a normal recon miss- mission and then things like, you know, go tits up and things start happening. Yeah, yeah. You can always do like recon, pararescue is another option to explore. Those guys uh jump out of helicopters and airplanes to go uh grab uh downed pilots hmm. uh another classic is the you're behind enemy lines and you got to make it back uh, that's a fun one yeah like scavenging and everything you've got like a pistol with uh with six rounds in it you gotta now everybody hates escort missions in video games but that's mostly due to bad ai but escort missions and rpgs can actually be very fun if done correctly and the npc you're escorting is at least interesting you know yeah or a hot girl. What do you what do you think of a red dawn type situation where not only are you behind enemy lines but you're behind enemy lines in your own country? You're behind enemy lines and you're a civilian in your own country right. as right. well. That's exactly. that's interesting. That's an interesting concept. I was considering writing a story like that where uh, it, you would. Um, I I had considered a long time ago. I was like, you know, it'd be interesting if somebody wrote a story. And the arc of the story was that it starts off as like the the setup for like your standard like harem trash anime, right? <laughs> But then, uh, then, uh, then, yeah. then, then, like yeah. cruise missiles hit the uh, hit the area, and an enemy army walk comes in, and then basically the uh, the harem protag just gets absolutely like eviscerated and like turned into a pile of goop. Hmm. And and now these uh, the, this this random group of dysfunction and dis- dysfunctional anime girl tropes, and like the uh, the the gym teacher who's like this like sixty year old army vet or whatever have to get home. <laughs> <laughs> it'd at least be okay, an interesting well, story. It'd be funny for the joke. I mean, it, I don't think it'd be funny like in perpetuity, but you know. Well, that that's an idea. Um, <clears throat> uh, I actually I actually had this idea for a video game 
that I could probably uh, re-engineer into into an RPG. It's like an X XCOM style video game where uh, you have a base in the in the hills or the mountains or whatever, and you lead uh, missions that you know like several different type of types of missions, like uh, hit their supply lines or free prisoners or whatever. And every single mission you go on, you get. Uh, you get salvage that you can bring back to your base and build your base up and everything. And I think that would be pretty cool. That That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, base building is cool and it's underexplored in RPGs. But again, if you want to do base building in an RPG, it's very easy to sort of tack it onto it in, in sort of an ad hoc fashion rather than building it directly into the rule set. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and my my game idea was more or less going to be something like uh like a first person shooter, something very basic, very, you know, run of the mill first person shooter, except uh you choose the people that you know, you choose the uh NPCs that go on these missions with you and all this other oh, stuff. Oh no, when I was talking about base building, I was talking about it at rather in terms of like a uh role playing game. You can tack base building onto most role playing games just fine. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, ab- absolutely. This is also going to be one of those times where uh, our audio guy is going to be, he's going to come back, John is going to come back, he's like, why didn't? Why wasn't I on? You guys were talking about stuff I like to talk about after you finished talking about Warhammer 40k. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I, I have, I, I, I know, I, I feel a little, uh, feel a little bad about that too, but that's yeah. okay. He'll, yeah. he'll understand. Yeah. I, I can, we can, we can make some time later in the week. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure something out. Yeah. yeah, we'll figure something out. Anyway, uh, that I think that's uh, that's that's about it for this week. Uh, yeah, I think we're I think we're good. I think right. we're good. We don't we don't really have anything uh, groundbreaking this week. Nope. Nope. Yeah. All right. So that's all. Uh, we'll see you guys. See ya. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs> This quiet offense, Slanesh! Things shall get loud now! We are amplified! Hear that? All right, hey everybody. Uh, I'm here with uh, with John the Baptist, uh, and we're gonna talk about uh, and we're gonna talk about uh, we have a little segment we're gonna record for you. And what we're gonna be talking about is when to say no, because if you've listened to the Borzoi episode, you're aware that both Borzoi and I are uh, members of the school of yes and. But uh, just as the Bible says, there's a there's a time to wage war and a time for peace. There's also a time to say yes and a time to say no. So uh, hey, John, how you doing? I'd like to uh, first off have a little uh, aside and say th- <laughs> and say that you promised never to use that title on the show. I, so I, I said I said I'd use it once. <laughs> uh, all right, I, fine. I've, I've, I've used it once, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that. So um, from now on, he's just John.
until we think of something yeah, better okay. to call him. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> I was listening to uh, I was listening to uh, one of the episodes that you guys did. Uh, and uh, yeah, you mentioned on how to say no to players. And I thought it might be a, an interesting topic to explore, uh, not just from like the sort of uh, techniques that we would use uh, to do that, but also around the times when to do that, how to make the best out of it. And maybe some some fun stories of like uh, when that's gone wrong, you know, when when saying no has been detrimental or possibly when you should have said no, but instead you said yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's all very important. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's and there's a lot to it. We might not cover it all, but, you know, it's just something we could come back to from time to time. I also tend to be of the mind of saying yes and uh, right. But my my technique uh, to really make players understand uh, like that there are some times that they shouldn't do things is to go ahead and let them do something and then have those make sure that the uh, negative ramifications of their actions come back and bite them in the butt. And then whenever they they stop and say, whoa, whoa, why did that happen? Just look them dead in the eye and say, do you remember how you did this? Well, this led to that, and then that made its way into this person's hands, who contacted this team, and now you're dealing with this. And there's nothing better when it comes to being the GM than seeing the dawning realization in the player's eyes that they brought the pain down on themselves. Mm, I would say I would say the best feeling in being a GM is when somebody says, "Wow, that was fun. I want to do that again." Uh, you know, well, yeah, I mean, but, I, they, it's, when isn't it fun though? I mean, it's always fun, at least in my opinion. I mean, okay. If you're like, if you're like a normie and you just got, been, you've just been brought in or say you're uh say you're one of my guys who don't, who've never really played before. If they, if, if, you know, that's, that, that's what I would say is most rewarding to me. But, uh, the, you, you brought this on yourself or I brought this on myself realization. That's a close second. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, for instance, I one of the very first games of Shadowrun that I ever GM'd uh, was my very it was my very first encounter, and I wanted to run it as uh, I was actually running it as a tutorial because we had two brand new Shadowrun players who'd never played before, and then we had two veteran Shadowrun players who'd been playing it for years, like even before I'd played it, and so I decided to do a tutorial not just for the new players but also for the old players at the mm. same time because one of the things one of the things about Shadowrun that you'll realize when you've run, you've played it and even just reading the rule books is that it's all about the twist it's all about the surprise the betrayal the stab in the back you know and it's and it's just a question of when is it going to happen you know when is the complication going to arise uh, and from who and so veteran players have come to learn this and they try to outsmart the GM by predicting the betrayal. And uh, so I had a rather fun encounter where I decided the twist was going to be that the job that they were being employed to do had absolutely no twists. No complications whatsoever. They were being paid to take a package to go to a, a certain factory in the manufacturing district to uh, confirm that the contact they were supposed to meet was the right contact using a verbal code, hand over the package and leave the area while making sure that they were not on camera, which is something that the hacker can tend to pretty easily. So th this is the mission that they were given. And if they had followed those instructions, 
it would have been the easiest run in the history of runs. They might have had, you know, a slight uh, disagreement with the contact they were supposed to meet because he wanted to get paid more. So they'd have to figure out either a way to get him some additional money, do a favor for him, maybe intimidate him. You know, there could have been like a slight complication like that, but it still would have been the easiest job imaginable. But the thing was, oh, how'd they the, mess veter- it up? <laughs> the veteran the pl- question everybody's asking by this point. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, it was great because the veteran players themselves provided all of the complication I ever could have asked for because they heard this absolutely easy job and, and both immediately went into full on paranoia mode. And they just, they could not believe that a job could possibly be easy. So they started looking at me and saying things like, I, I'm going to go outside and look around and make, see if anybody's watching me. And so I, I, I described, you know, yeah, there's, there's quite a few people around. You know, you see, uh, you see some people walking, you see some people in the second story windows, and you see a guy over there in a loading dock yelling into a comlink angrily. And, and, you know, and I had already like planned all this out. It was something completely unrelated. He was having a trouble with his deliveries that he needed for his store, but the players, yeah, I these mean, two- like, that, that'd be my first instinct, dude, yelling into his comlink. <laughs> probably like, Hey, Tony, Hey, Tony, yeah. where's the frizzoli at? You said you'd have the frizzoli. <laughs> That's almost exactly what it was. Uh, but these veterans decided that they were being watched and reported on and they needed to capture and interrogate this guy because he no doubt worked for some sort of opposition that was going to try and stop them. So they they set up a plan to break into this guy's business, lock all of the doors, and started torturing him in the middle of his storeroom. And the more he denied having any idea who they even were, the more they were convinced he was some deep plant by some secret spy agency and they had to step it up a notch and they started looking for the guy's family and trying to go after them. So and I'm, I'm just, Hey John, John, I <laughs> yeah. refuse to believe there's anyone in this world who's more paranoid about OPSEC than you. Uh, so I, this, I'm going to call bullshit on this story. <laughs> no, this is this is absolutely not bullshit. This t- this I'm completely happened, dude. And, it gets, it and it gets and it gets and it gets worse. Yeah, it gets even it get worse. worse. So so after this interrogation finally comes to a close, and they are satisfied that this guy is a legitimate businessman who had nothing to do with anybody trying to monitor him. They le- they they knock him out using a uh, because Shadowrun has magic as well. So they use yeah. a spell to knock this guy out and decide to leave him tied up in his storage room. Now, they never checked to see if anybody was going to come in there or, you know, if anybody was coming. Never asked him, you know, do you have any staff on hand? So they leave and they start going to case the location for the uh, uh, for the actual mission, like the actual factory that they're supposed to be breaking into. So, uh, of course, in the background, I'm, I'm doing roles and I'm having things go on to where, you know, the next uh, the time of the next shift, the uh, worker comes in there and they also didn't have the hacker wipe the security cameras from them doing this break in and, and like pretty brutal torture. So all this stuff is going on in the background. But at the same time, they decide to go over to the factory district and case out the location of their job. OK, cool. You know, that's that's absolutely appropriate shadow and behavior. However... One of the characters decides to break into the apartment complex that's across the street from this, uh, you know, from this. It's a, I call it a factory district. Think like hipsters who also have like small manufacturing that they're doing to make artisanal products. So yeah. they've got they've also got uh, apartments down there. 
And so one of the guys decides to break into the apartment complex to go up to the roof to set up some uh, uh, surveillance cameras to watch the building. As you do. As you do, of course. However, he, the, the amount of poor mistakes really would take too long to get into completely. But he, A, set off the building's alarm. B... Uh, ran into the security guard with absolutely no sort of explanation or excuse. C tried to attack the security guard to incapacitate him, but didn't get him in one go. So the security guard is calling for reinforcements and calling Lone Star, which is their like private security corporation. And this this uh, guy decides to murder the security guard on the stairwell of an apartment complex right across from the building where they're supposed to be doing the handoff later in the day. As you do. As you do. So naturally... The, what, are you, what, are you, what are you saying? you never done that before? <laughs> I... There was so many times during this, uh, this pre-mission uh, setup that I was looking at my players and I just wanted to tell them, no, what the hell is wrong with you? What are you doing? You're like... You are... I, I wanted to warn them about the ramifications of their actions but at the same time, I also knew that I could get this could turn into a really interesting story. Naturally. Now, unfortunately, the story that it turned into was it was, I guess, sort of derailed because they couldn't even do the, the handoff like they were supposed to. So it, it dragged out into this like extended thing of trying to figure out what was in the package, which was extremely well locked and protected, find the guy that they were supposed to hand it off to and like find other opportunities to meet up and hand it over to him. It turned into this really long uh, thing and they were being hunted by the uh, cops the whole time. So uh, it was, it was frustrating for the players but at the same time, every time they'd say to me, dude, why is this happening? Why, why, how did it go this way? I, would, I looked at them and I said, do you remember how you tortured the guy in the middle of the day in his store, in the storage room? Yeah, well, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember how you killed that security guard on the stairwell without checking if there were security cameras, which there are. It's a hipster, high-class you know, apartment building. There was security cameras. They saw you. So you, now you've got these two crimes connected to your group and you did them all within close proximity of the, uh, the location that you're supposed to be doing this mission. So of course security is going to be on high and all they could just do is, is, is sit there and think, wow, this really feels like, like, and this is something they told me later. This really feels like an interconnected world where my actions have consequences. And uh, they did actually really enjoy that aspect of it, even though it wound up going just so, so south. Like, it went, it went south hard. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I've had to do it less, uh, less directly. Or, sorry, more directly, probably. Uh, you, you have a very indirect uh, way of doing it. Uh, or you, you had a very indirect sort of circumstance and scenario. I've had scenarios where I've just been, uh, I've, I've made an executive decision just to look at somebody and say, yeah, no, that's not happening, uh, straight to their face. Sometimes you have people that uh, say and do some things that uh, I don't think are very good. I, I've, really, it's a matter of setting boundaries, right? Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll have that guy who's like, yeah, I want to, um, you know put my character's genitalia on another player character's face 
because he's unconscious. I've had that happen before. Somebody somebody say I'm going to do that, and I just looked at him and I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. I mean, there's there's a I really when I when I'm thinking of saying no, right? The idea of like having things go wrong for players and like I guess not necessarily tricking them, but having things go not according to expectation. That's a uh, that's a um, that's kind of a classic thing that you know I, I think is something that every good game master should do naturally but i think every good game master really has a requirement on him and it's really incumbent on him to sort of set the boundaries of the of the game like how how are we going to do this is this going to be uh is this going to be a nasty game are we gonna are we gonna do like a really really weird kind of thing like what are we what kind of game are we playing here and uh, it's incumbent on the game master to sort of decide and uh, it's incumbent on him Mm. to enforce it as well my okay so first off i want to say i have never had a circumstance where someone tried to put their character's genitals on another character's face i've had that so I, <laughs> I don't know what kind of groups you're running in this is astounding to me <laughs> uh, 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 one day one day i'll uh, i'll tell it all to you off recording <laughs> okay uh, all right yeah so lot, i've got a lot of good stories that i can't repeat yeah, yeah, I can tell. I guess we definitely have a different understanding of uh, what it means to have to say no, because in my mind, I never imagined it would be due to a player conduct in such a way like that. But I, I can see what you mean now when you're saying uh, that it's it's up to the GM to set the tone, uh, n- not just the tone, but sort of the the etiquette level that's expected. I mean, I've I've looked at people and I've said, "Do you want to play Fatal? Because we can play Fatal. I'm 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 perfectly fine with like, I'll I'll threaten them with that. Like I've uh, I've I've sent um I've played online before. I've I've GM before, and I've sent people links to N Hentai, like crazy shit on there. And I'd be like, okay, you want to do that? We can do that. I'll I'll do it, but uh, you're not going to be happy about it. Uh, <laughs> just to drive a point home. Well, is that a legitimate threat? Like, would you actually do it if they said yes? Yes, I would, and I would make it as uncomfortable as I possibly could. Because see, I know that I see. I know the guy that's sitting there. Um, I, I know, I know that he's not going to. These aren't these aren't like weeb people, right? So, oh, you, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, this yeah. is this is this is not like a uh, this is not like our uh, site hosts per se. These are <laughs> yeah, yeah, these are these yeah. are guys that are not going to be, uh, you know. Shall we say that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Most comfortable Fair enough. In that okay. scenario, you can uh, you can kind of set things up to be uh, you know uh, yeah we're not doing that and they're gonna they're gonna have to uh, mm. they'll they'll uh, they respond to that. I've I've found people do uh, you threat you make that threat most people will kind of back off. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, I, don't okay. Forget, so a lot of my players know me as the guy who ran made on a dare. Right. Right. True. <laughs> so, but it sounds like what you're saying is that you're taking the yes and uh, approach, but magnifying it to an almost absurd, like mutually assured destruction kind of level where it's like, oh, you want, you want to be gross and sexual? Oh, well, hey, then if that's where you want to go with it, we'll just go and play this really gross and sexual role playing game. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I am a firm believer in a lot of political science orthodoxy in terms of the way we study sort of threat development and uh, conflict negotiation. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the hallmarks of that is MAD or mutually assured destruction. I am an MAD fan. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. So 
the idea that that uh, that I would I, I don't make empty threats. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah. I am fully willing to uh, if somebody wants to go that route, I will take them down that. Whereas you're like you you. In, in a very non-meta con, in a very meta context, in the game, you're letting them feel the consequences of their actions. Out of the game, I will let them feel the consequences of their actions. Two different approaches to two different problems, but ultimately, kind of a similar approach. Yeah, I, I will say that I have run into uh, a circumstance where a player was just absolutely not willing to meet the uh, to meet the imaginative space halfway. Uh, and this was due to drugs. This was a definitely a marijuana problem. One of the guys that uh, I worked with and was running games for brought his girlfriend to one of the games. And she had done other role-playing games and, and did all right. Now, granted, it was Dungeons & Dragons uh, that she had played. And she did all right in that. But, you know, there wasn't much... There wasn't much attempt at role playing. Um, so, but... So when she tried to play in this game that we were doing together... Uh, and, and by the way, I, we had talked about this before and decided as a group that they wanted to do an evil campaign where they were playing the evil characters. Well, her and her boyfriend both got really high before the game. And the guy was still like the, the dude was still OK at role playing. He was he was, you know, maybe not as eloquent as he should have been, but he was still getting into character and having a good time with it. But then when it came to be her turn, she decided that her character was a hippie who was attempting to promote the health benefits of hallucinogenic mushrooms amongst the common folk and would go around. uh, Yeah. I've had people, I've had players like that in the past. I hate that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was, it was, it was extra out of place because they had all decided, including her to play as evil characters and with, you know, with evil intents and then she suddenly does this weird turn where everything is about drugs and she's trying to get all the, the like random NPC civilians high for no reason and refusing to participate uh, or to join in with the rest of the group on what they were doing at the time. And so I had to I tried to lead her back on track and say, like, you know, no, that's not really what you're here for. You know, that, or, yeah, you can do that, but it doesn't really add anything you know, what's, what are you trying to get out of it? And she just, it was very clear. She wasn't taking it seriously. So I had to talk to the guy afterwards and I said, Hey, she's not fitting in with the group. I'm sorry. We got to, you know, we, we got to break ways here. And he complete, not only did he understand, he agreed with me. And, uh, unfortunately that meant that he had to sit out of the campaign, but the campaign was able to continue going because I was willing to just be like, look, this isn't working f- with from a uh, a player compatibility point of view, and right, then just right. by, by by nipping that in the bud, the game was able to keep going. Yeah, no, um, one that is a problem I've I've seen a lot uh, is this sort of very juvenile approach to substance abuse, especially in this setting. That that's why uh, I think for the most part you should kind of have thought out beforehand. How does your setting deal with substance abuse? Because you're going to run into people mm-hmm. who are going to want to do that uh, that bit. Well, I don't mind it when it's treated as with with, uh, with a sense of respect or uh, responsibility or an understanding that uh, it can be an interesting part of character development and storytelling. Like uh, like in fact, the Shadowrun game I've been talking to you about that I'm playing in currently, my character is a drug addict. And it is not a healthy thing. It is a coping mechanism. 
but it's also a destructive one. And I'm role-playing through these things. And it's very interesting because the way that I'm playing this character, everybody else just assumed that I am in real life a drug addict. And I told them, I've never done anything harder than marijuana. And even that I don't like. And they were shocked because they're like, wow, you are playing this really accurately. It sounds like real life experience. And I'm just like, A, that's sad that you think my real life is like that. But uh, <laughs> but B, no, you, you can explore these things in a way that is meaningful and realistic and adds to the character and the depth and the story, but it's not juvenile. And I, I think that's what it boils down to is the juvenile approach of just, ha my weeds or my mushrooms. You can kind of use that to tell that a person just isn't getting into it. They aren't appreciating that this is a story that you're telling and a world that you're exploring. It's just, I don't know. I don't even know what, like why they're there at that point, but it's just, it's not working, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that. And I, I agree. Um, mm. I just have a lot, a lot and a lot of just bad experiences with that. I've, I've played games with people that have shown up high before. I was still oh, yeah. running the yeah, game. Had I been running the game, I would have just been like, "Yeah, no, you're gonna, you're either gonna fix that or you're not gonna do it." Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience is substances do not mix well with games, uh, very well. Uh, I've had a lot of players like want to do the, "Oh, we're gonna get drunk, lol" bit. Uh, you, yeah, are you, you're you're familiar with that one, I'm I'm sure. Actually, to be honest with you, I am more familiar with players uh, doing pot before uh, games, which uh, I have also found is just it's just absolutely not compatible with any quality role playing. Oh, no, I'm not saying like uh, in like out of game getting drunk. I'm talking about like in game. I'm going to get my character drunk. Actually, no, I I don't really have much experience with uh, characters getting drunk too often. Yeah, well, I've had parties that take it to make it or believe that because people in the middle ages consumed a copious amount of beer, everyone was a drunkard. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know, 80 proof alcohol flowed like uh, flowed like, uh, you know, <laughs> rivers of milk and honey in the promised land, shall we say, uh, which is, which well, is not stupid. very accurate. Well, it's not very yeah. accurate because uh, uh, the really high proof spirits are, are an invention of sort of modern distilling techniques that allow us yeah. to uh, very, incrementally distill something in a very complicated manner. Uh, I'm sure there's someone who could, com- could explain it better than me on a short notice, but uh, basically, you know, in order to make some, I- I'm going to, I was about to go into a really, really, really boring tangent. <laughs> basically <laughs> the gist of it is because I was about to start explaining like the mechanics of how you distill water and alcohol together. Yeah, Please don't. I- I- I'd yeah. have to edit it out. Cause that's just, yeah. Not- <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's interesting, but it's interesting to like maybe like one person <laughs> who isn't me yeah. to be listening. Uh, so, so, but you've run into care, uh, cases with the uh, the party decides that they're all going to well, no, I, get drunk. One or, one or one or two one or two characters want to do the do the drunk bit, and then they want to use it as a carte blanche for my character does whatever he wants. Uh, ah, okay. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of stuff that's just like I'm using this as a carte blanche to just say my character can do whatever and ignore social convention with little to no ramifications. Well, and I mean, that seems like the perfect situation to apply that sort of holistic world building that I was talking about, wherein you can do that, but the ramifications will catch up to you in some way. 
Yes, no, I've done uh, I've done that in the past. Uh, one thing that that always kind of gets my goat is when uh, players will be playing a game like Dungeons and Dragons, which again we're not the biggest fans of Dungeons and Dragons. But if if like you know some people are like, will you run a game for us? And I'm like, don't have a game, or I'd like to run it for them because I like them. And they're like, can you run D and D? Just you just kind of go, and I go like, okay, sure, I'll run D and D, whatever, you know. I mean, and at that point, you need better friends. <sighs> Meet people. Where they're... <laughs> hey, hey! You should you should know better than anybody else. You got to meet people where they're at. Jesus Christ, were he around today, uh, instead of going and hanging out with like uh, with like prostitutes and stuff, he would have hung out with the dregs of society. So he would have gone and hung out with the Dungeons and Dragons players. You know. Yeah, but he didn't condone their sin, so he wouldn't go GM uh, Dungeons and Dragons for them. He would then like say, "Hey, let's go play something better and more wholesome." Well, maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus would run the Dungeons and Dragons campaign, and then in it, just basically point out everything that's wrong with the system in an attempt to get the players to play Dark Heresy or Savage Worlds next time. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I would take I would take Dungeon World over Dungeons and Dragons, which is the uh, powered by the apocalypse hack of. Uh, uh, to make the game like Dungeons and Dragons, like a you know medieval fantasy type game. Wasn't that Virtual Optum's favorite thing ever? I don't know. Do you know who Virtual Optum was? Uh, yeah, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> no, no. Somebody will know what I'm talking about, and they're going to go, oh, oh, and yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 uh, for old school. Not old school, but it's, uh, it's 4chan lore. Uh, he's a guy who oh, got okay, banned okay. off the traditional games board for defending Fatal, ironically, uh, because everyone by <laughs> that point was so sick of his, like, uh, he was he was a very, very uh, notable bag but uh did he roll for anal circumference uh, uh, so, oh this, <laughs> this is another thing i've had to say no to um i've had to say no to like jokes about fatal at my table because i don't like it yeah. it's boring and lame and it's like oh yay you 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 went to 1d 4chan as well and you saw the page and you were like lol funny adult meme game yeah and uh it's also like a pathway towards finding out things about your friends you never wanted to know. Like if they actually know more than just the absolute minimum to make a joke about it and start like actually talking about the table for uh, impregnation and uh, all of these extra stats. And you're just like, why? Why do you know that? And you never think, want to think, hear uh, the answer I to think that. I, uh, I think I, I just had that exact uh, exact uh, experience with you. Right here. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was I was providing a helpful example, okay? You were providing a helpful example by being yes. the example. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Yes. I talked about fatal to let you know what it's like to know somebody <laughs> okay. who talks about... <laughs> okay, I think, I think we're getting a little bit into blasphemy territory. Just a little bit too much. Yeah, all right, all right, Although all right. I, let's dial it back. If Jesus Christ did play traditional games, he would not play Dungeons and Dragons. We know that for sure. Well, yes, that's agreed, yeah. Uh, the Although Super Lutheran may listen to this and disagree with us, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll fight him, like, somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Just say no. Uh, my uh, my brother's telling me this just in the son of God would not play Pathfinder. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah, that's that's extra heretic. Considering Jesus is not a furry. I actually think he might like uh, Dark Heresy, to be honest with you. Depends. Yeah. He might, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Anyway, uh, you were talking. You were talking about uh, your players who played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, when you've had to tell them no. Yes, I was. We were talking about that, and one of the things that all my players like to do is try to pick up random women, right? But they wanted to play D and D, and and the thing about this is it never works. Uh, why? Because this is this is like fourteen hundreds, like not Finland. Yeah, yeah. It's a little more involved than just picking up bar wenches. Uh, yeah, there aren't really bar wenches. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they've they've had like one brothel experience, and that was in the largest city in the region because that's where you would have a brothel. When you have these small, tight knit, rural farming communities or rural trading communities that aren't super mm-hmm. huge, like there isn't really a town prostitute per se, like ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got gotcha. you. Oh, so uh, and then they'll, they'll be confused, and I'll look at them and I'll be like, "Well, this is like 1400s Europe." And they'll look back at me and they'll be like, yeah, but I just want to pick up a girl. I'm like, that, yeah, it's 1400s Europe. That's not how this works. <laughs> you don't get to throw out a, a cheesy pickup line. And, and that's how I do, like, I guess that fits more into your, like, holistic world building is the chick just looks at him and is like, yeah, no, or like, get out of my face. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, uh, I see where you're coming from because the, the thing that you're addressing is uh, the player's intentions not matching up with what the character's intentions or uh, or background knowledge of their own setting would be. So like the player in this case is saying, hey, I want to do this thing, but the problem is that that action is anachronistic based on the actual setting that you're playing the game in. Right. Yeah, okay, I, I see what you're saying. That's not really something I've run into because I haven't played that many fantasy games to be honest with you i mostly play you know modern or you know slightly sci-fi or futuristic if you're like me and you really 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 like playing uh sort of sci-fi fantasy like sci-fi that's more fantastical where like Mm -hmm. people are like knights in space and like basically do the fantasy bit but like with spaceships and stuff which i think is fun you know I like I like mm-hmm. middle I like middle space fantasy, so that's where my homebrews tend to go. Is like somewhere in between uh, Warhammer 40k and Lord of the Rings uh, is generally what I like yeah, homebrew, yeah. and that's kind of my favorite sort of setting style. There's not really anything that caters to it, so I kind of have to homebrew everything myself. But well, it sounds a lot like a BattleTech, to be honest with you. Yeah, but I'm not a mecha guy. I'm a treadhead. We and we we know this. <laughs> Well, okay, I I do enjoy the uh, two-legged walking fighting machines, uh, but Battletech actually sounds a lot like what you're talking about, wherein there is an interstellar, uh, you know, ki- in- kingdom or empire, different factions or whatever, but then they still have the uh, old school feudal system, and basically the ones who own these these mechs are like knights, and uh, I mean that that they're I know you're I know you're very heavily cemented in the treads. But uh, I think there's a lot in that setting that you would like, aside from the fact that the fighting machines walk on two legs. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly certain of it. I just haven't had the time to ever get into Battletech. Also, I would feel obligated to at least try the miniature wargaming. And uh, I do not Uh, have... uh, I don't have the time or money for another miniature (laughs) wargame. Let's be real. (laughs) Yeah, fair Um, enough. Fair enough. But all things considered, so I've actually run into that uh, that problem of like players misunderstanding the way the setting works on that mm-hmm. fundamental level more often more often than you probably have because you play a lot of modern settings where like, dude, you just read Rush V's game and then you know, <laughs> go out, <laughs> yeah, and find yourself a bar wench, 
bar thought in this case. Yeah, so I guess my question in that case would be, do you try to talk to the players to get them to better understand the expectations and the social dynamic of the setting? I do. Okay. I do, and then and then when they get it wrong, I uh, I sort of nudge them in the or um mm. or well I, I I generally cut my settings up into slices, and that's like yeah, that would probably fly here, but not there, you know. Oh, okay. If you're interacting with the uh, with the with the local like you know high high gothic like fertility cult people they're not going to take it too kindly when you're like you know trying to do the entire uh, bar bit but if you're in uh if you're in like globo gayplex space land then yeah you're gonna you're gonna like go off pretty well with that you know <laughs> you're gonna catch something you're gonna catch something yeah is it what you want to catch <laughs> you're gonna catch something it's called a venereal disease but that that goes into another <laughs> that goes into another uh, thing i do when i do role playing which is i like to punish people for for things that are actions that are ill-advised but that that's that's a topic for another time <laughs> we'll talk about stds well, i guess it does kind of fall into that. yeah yeah that does fall into it like if you if you're like so I, one thing is I don't I don't see sex as a very good way. It's it's not a very interesting storytelling mechanism for me because I don't find it compelling. Mm-hmm. I think you can tell a very good story without making everything really sexual. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a that's a crutch a lot of authors in sort of modern times fall into is the need to sort of use sex as a as a storytelling device. Yeah, and I, I, I think go ahead. I think that's kind of a weakness. So personally, I I, I, I kind of trying to like move my games away from that direction uh, because I try to I, I think it's better if we're not telling a story that's conventional in that sense. We can we can tell interesting stories otherwise. Think about the Lord of the Rings. How many times did people have sex in the Lord of the Rings? I not none. Uh, presumably at least once for every character that exists. Oh y- yeah, but like it's never written about. Right. Well, that's what I'm talking about, you know. Right. And that is the difference. Uh, A lot of modern uh, storytelling, especially movies, treats uh, sex as if it's uh, almost like a a reward. It's almost like a, a, you know, something that you get and it's like it's titillating. But the problem is that in role in role playing games, uh, that really isn't conveyed because it's they're not a visual medium and you don't want that to be included visually anyway. Uh, also, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to pretend to be the. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be your waifu for your, uh, your your pee. Uh, are we talking <laughs> hey. about titillating? What what's going yeah. on here? We're talking. Okay. We're, we're having a discussion about saying no to our players, Jack. Uh, yeah, Jack. Jack, I hate to. I hate to bring you in on this with uh, such little notice, but we're talking about the importance of informed consent titillate oh, oh okay <laughs> yeah this episode on feminist little wars <laughs> Inter- no, no, intersectionality little wars this is- i'm an yes, I, I would intersectional wars an inter- intersectional misogynist uh there go. yeah so they, they call it an irrational fear and hatred of women but i i think that my fear and hatred of women is quite rational so i don't know if i would necessarily be an, a misogynist you know, yeah, like yeah. a racist is someone who hates people of other races. So I think a feminist is someone who hates people of, of the female race, right? Is that how that works? I think that's how it works. I think we're all feminists here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're uh, feminists. Yeah, yeah. Little Wars is a feminist, feminist podcast. You heard it here first, folks. You could, you, could even, 
you could almost call us feminazis. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that works. I think that works. I am a feminazi. Uh, I think that really, really. Uh... <laughs> you know what? I'm going to okay. use the IRL now. If somebody's like, "What's your political ideology?" I'd be like, "I'm a feminazi." Like, uh, so you like believe it? Like, you like a fem? I'm like, yes. A racist is someone who hates people of other races. <sighs> <laughs> okay, okay, mongoose. I'm going to have to say no to this sidetracking. Uh, uh, and <laughs> us back to our original topic. Great segue. Yes, you get a promotion, and your promotion is uh, you're never going to use your. We're never going to uh, call you by a bad name ever again. Period. But um, uh-huh. I'm so glad <laughs> I could help. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to explain uh, the way that we got to this uh, topic was uh, you know when to say no to your players and how and why, and so we we started off talking about how. Um, players who do things that are you know that will have bad um bad ramifications in the setting you know when to let them just do those things and then suffer the consequences and then we went on to uh when the the character's uh background knowledge wouldn't necessarily mesh up with the uh the player's intentions so they're creating something that would be effectively out of character based on the character that's supposed to be role playing and then from there we got into uh when players are trying to bring sex into the game. Ah. And I and I was I was actually beginning to discuss why I don't use sex as a plot device in my games because I don't see it as a I don't see sex or sexuality as a very particularly compelling narrative element. I mean apart from like marriage obviously is compelling but it's it's different when you're when you're talking about two people that are married versus two people that are just having sex the sort of subtext and sort of way that interacts in a plot or in other ways it's different because you can you can present i would i i would like to take the contrarian point here and point out that there's a difference between uh sexuality and magical realming well i i see here's the thing jack is i don't like it's not necessarily like avoiding the magical realm right it's a matter of avoiding uh avoiding like i don't see sexuality as a particularly compelling narrative element i don't don't? think no i mean you can tell a very good i think some of the most compelling stories mankind has ever told or will ever tell are largely devoid of uh sex scenes and talk of sex i mean they're not devoid of marriage producing children and all that but but descriptions of sexual relations and all that they are uh lord of the rings is a great example uh Mm. i think well if if i can't if i can interrupt real quick i would say that it really comes down to the uh skill of the players and the the gm you know which who is in fact still a player in this world uh because sex is just like any other element it is a part of the setting and it is a part of the way that characters interact with that setting so like before when I mentioned about, you know, I'm role playing a character who is a drug addict, this character makes bad decisions and has uh, inner struggles that they're dealing with and all of this stuff that I'm, I'm actually exploring the, uh, the ramifications and the meaning of this and how it impacts them. But uh, also this character can at one time so far and probably more in the future is also engaging in meaningless sex with strangers. But this is not being described, obviously, because I'm not interested in exploring that, you know, the the mechanics of it, if you will. But uh, also, it is a characterization for this character to 
uh, go into the broken nature of the interactions with society. Because again, this is Shadowrun. And in Shadowrun, everything is dehumanized and depersonalized. And it's, it is pretty bleak once you get past the, ooh, I can have a shiny chrome arm aspect. Um, and so those that can be a part of how you play your character to tell a story about that character and the flaws that they have. But I'm not doing it. I'm, I don't include that for any sort of gratification because there is none. It's just a, you know, it's a skip. It's a fade to black. It's a mention of something done during downtime. But it can also be used to highlight what I'm hoping will develop into a longer term character arc wherein these kind of meaningless flings, these this uh, constant riding of drugs, uh, you know, of being high all the time, that it eventually comes to a realization that all of this is meaningless in the face of what actually matters, which is being able to open up and rely on on friends, on uh, on teammates, on family. Um, so I've got all these these plots that I'm juggling, and I am in- including other elements along the way. And I think there's validity to that. I think it can be compelling. It's just in how it's done. See, my my uh, my argument though is a much more baser one. Though it's it's a little bit more natural because uh, one of the, so so I always like for this argument. I always like to go back to the newest. Uh, I don't know, like like Star Wars, Disney films. Oh no. Well, and point out though, there there is there is one element if you strip away all of the like really, you know, bad movie uh aspect to them. Yeah. There is one point that that I've seen pointed out a lot online and I'm not exactly sure who first made this point, but there's a lot of hugging. Have you noticed this? There's just there's just so much hugging. Everyone's hugging, right? Yeah. Well, Jack, Jack. Hmm. I- one thing I've noticed uh, IRL a lot is that normie women hug mm. everything. Exactly. They they hug themselves. They hug trees. They hug their pet dogs. You know, like if yeah. you if you meet like a, a a girl who's like like you know you're friendly with, she'll hug you, and it's like, yeah, no, I don't want to. No, no, stop. <laughs> so, so so you're but, offending my autism. Well, it's not even that. It's like I know you're. I know you're having sex with that dude over there. I don't want to. Like, no. <laughs> okay. But, all but, right. But but my but my point here though is that this. So so when 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 you're in mixed company for an extended period of time in a very cramped space, like doing you know heroic things like that, right? Like. You don't you don't end up at the end of the world watching everything burn and hug the other person, okay? You you know like like emotions start forming, uh, you know relationships start forming. So I mean you know I I I I just think that this is something humans do when they're near uh, a group of people of the opposite sex is that they tend to form attachments to one another. And it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, uh, uh, visceral or, or, you know, that kind of thing. But, but there definitely needs to be some sort of relationship that forms there. That's a little bit more than just friendly. Yeah, no, that's, I think it's really up to the tone of the game. You're, you're, you're making, uh, I, I tend to, that's, that's totally, that's totally a fair point. Uh, I mean, I can see. I I think your point is perfectly legitimate. Sure, but if I'm if I'm say doing uh 
what I normally do, which is I do some pseudo Lord of the Rings type deal with some with, with varied elements of this, that, and the other um, in space, which is one of my favorite kind of <laughs> things to do. I'm not necessarily looking to tell that kind of a, yes, we're all going to have like emotional depth of bonds and it's going to be very much like a soap opera. I want to tell it more like a kid-friendly television show, oddly enough. And that not necessarily as campy, but I tend to be more heavy on, on violent interaction than that sort of thing in storytelling. Uh, and I, I, I tend to see uh, sexuality as sort of a narrative crutch that, that authors use. Um, I look down on... Uh, I, I think Jack has a much more healthy view on this. Probably, this sure. I, yeah, he probably does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't dispute that Jack is probably the healthier of the two of us. I never said that. I never made any specific claims okay. otherwise. <laughs> well, because I, I, I like how Jack is, is seeing it as a tool for humanizing characters because i have a lot of respect for those who are willing to try and explore characters more than just a collection of stats and a and a list of accomplishments so i i really appreciate that sort of outlook jack i, I, mean, I think that's awesome well well i mean i mean c- consider back to the very first uh star wars movie and i'm bringing this up again because it's such a great contrast right i mean mm-hmm. you know you, you had you had han solo in that in that scene what are you afraid of my hands are dirty too you know that kind of thing it just sounded really creepy when i said it but he made it sound incredibly <laughs> yeah, <dude>. good <laughs> <laughs> but but then you flash forward to all these like you know purple-haired SJWs that that are just standing around each other like you know it's high school mm-hmm. and everyone's nervous you know but they're saving the world so I guess you know we got to do that and 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 they're hugging every they're hugging all well and everyone. so and more know. than just hugging like you've got uh, Rose crashes into Finn after they've just been like going around to all these different planets and not really accomplishing anything and there's no <laughs> real reason behind it and then so they crash into each other and then they just kiss out of nowhere and you're yeah. like that didn't feel earned or genuine whatsoever and yeah. then Weihan on Twitter goes I am not allowed <laughs> I am vomit. Yeah. <laughs> I am vomit, different species, grandparent, not recognize. Grandparent cry. You made grandparent cry. Chinese <laughs> man, just, monkey did woman. Did you just call? Yeah, I was going to say, did you just call them? <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> or, or no, it was Chinese woman, monkey man, ugly Chinese. It's something like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you can only imagine what Wei Han would say. Are you, are you saying a, a black man and an Asian woman are different species? No, no Wei Han Twitter, is saying that. Are you familiar with the Twitter account, Wei Han? Like this, uh, this Chinese guy who like is really against No, race I'm mixing? straight. I'm not on Twitter. Okay, well, he uh, what the thing he says is like he'll always like if somebody shows him a picture of somebody something race mixing, he says different species am not allowed. Different species grandparent no recognize make grandparent cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't make grandparent cry. Yeah, yeah that's well, like that sounds a, like a that sounds like a nice man. I like him. Yeah, everybody loves Weihan except like, like the people that actually get like who who actually like so Weihan will get added. And then uh, he'll show up, and then like the people that uh, the normies will not know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the shock. <laughs> anyway, so uh, what about you, Jack? Though what what uh, 
What experience do you have with, you know, having to say no to people, having to turn people down, uh, you know, in your games, either you having it done to you by a GM or you as a GM? Well, okay, so so I may have a different uh, perspective on this because mm-hmm. most of my players have uh, been married and their marriage partners have been sitting next to them at the at the D and D table. <clears throat> so yeah, <laughs> so they yeah, tend I can to... I can see why in role playing games you would have a you would have the more like I say healthy and mature yeah. view. Yeah, you weren't it, you weren't playing with a bunch of people that were like you know. <laughs> yeah, because because their characters make advances to one another, and they're just oh, like, Ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's okay. But honestly, like in the general view of saying no, uh, I I tend to I tend to trust the wind and go with the flow up to uh, up to a up to a point because so. So my my players know that whenever they make a stupid decision or a smart decision, it could very easily turn back on them, right? I I, mm-hmm. I try to have, I try to have, I, whenever they make a decision, I try uh, my very best to think, how can I screw them out of this out of this uh, uh, this great idea in the situation, right? Or if they make a stupid decision, I try to think uh, how this could inadvertently turn good or just turn out really really bad right and in that way i like your style yeah and and in that way i don't really have to tell my players no unless they say uh, unless they ask me if they can do something really outlandish right or yeah something like that sounds like you have a better play group than i than uh than either of us have so or have had in the past so (laughs) Yeah, I tend to I tend to uh, like my group of friends. They're very uh, I, I I don't know they, I mean there, there definitely was a time where they weren't as mature I guess and I guess I wasn't as mature mm. as well so <laughs> so you know I hadn't really needed to say no but uh, yeah I mean I'm I'm just starting up another group with a bunch of people I don't know so I'm probably gonna have to come back and uh, report back it's like yeah I had to tell them no. Damn it! You'll you'll see you'll see things my way about uh, about sex as a uh, as a storytelling element once you once you encounter random internet once you're playing on the internet with randos. Oh my god! Yeah, you, you'll, I, no, you'll see things my way. You'll come to see it. <laughs> you'll you'll get, come around. Oh oh, you poor virgin! You you'll come around. Yeah. <laughs> just just wait until you've got an entire group of incels and oh. they see the they see this as will you rp with me colon three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, like that when when I'm saying like, yeah, I can tell a good story without that. It's because yeah, if I try to, I don't want to live through doing that. So, you know, <laughs> eh. I I understand, dude, and but I think that a lot of it has to do with finding quality people and having a quality group first, and then uh, like understanding what each other's looking for in terms of storytelling, and then being. Uh, once you get to the point where you're confident enough in their intentions, I guess that you're okay with uh, exploring other things, um, more in depth uh, character development. Whereas just random people, yeah, if you're if you're just like, yeah, sure, you know, you can get married and fun and you know whatever in in game. Well, then it's going to devolve into something that you just wish had never happened. Yes, yes, it will. Yeah. But the other the other thing about that is that I tend to try to stay away from things that either I haven't read that I've that I, either I haven't read on, 
or that I haven't personally experienced myself. So I tend to try to keep it into things I know about. And uh, as an unmarried rando, uh, I do not, I do not think that I'm going to be the guy uh, going around and uh, role playing that sort of thing. No. I mean, just read Roosh. What's wrong with you? Uh, as, a, because... <laughs> as a wise man once said, women make everything worse. <laughs> worse? Why though? Well, so so, but but there is a uh, there is an exception to that. I mean, I I think that if you absolutely need to have women in your group, I'd say to try and get the wives or the girlfriends of the players to play with them, because then at least people know where boundaries are, right? You know, you, if, you, you'd think that, but uh, you'd think that. yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you'd think that, but uh, I've had some IRL experiences that are just like, yeah, no, no, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Yeah. It really all depends, unfortunately. Yeah. I can see that getting very, very uncomfortable. Well, well, you know, I, I'm also assuming that all the incels that I'm playing with are like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say that because that would make everyone uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you're you're projecting your own etiquette I, onto I everybody know. else. I know. It's yeah, very okay. dangerous. It's, That's uh, very white of you, sir. <laughs> yeah, you're using some very, very... Uh, very very dangerous assumptions about uh about the about people yeah <laughs> well i mean to some degree you got to go out on a limb and trust people until they prove themselves not worth it but the good thing is that that always produces great stories that you can tell other people and, and laugh about later <laughs> that's very true that's very true the the strength of the internet is that you can meet very many people very many mm-hmm. uh you know uh, diversity of people, I guess you could say. Is it our strength? Would you say? No. Yeah. No, it is not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm shooting you down right now. I'm saying no to this. <laughs> We've made an executive decision. No. <laughs> yep. So is that is that the theme of this? Sensibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was just a little bit that we I uh, wanted to talk about. Um, Sure, Jack, one more thing. You'll get hmm. good stories out of it unless you're too embarrassed to tell them. Hmm. Hmm. But if it's too like creepy and weird to say, you know, you might not have a good story. You might be left with something that's worse. Anyway. I, I can't think of anything else to say on this topic other than, uh, you know. Say no. Don't, uh. Yeah, yeah. Know when to say no. Know where the boundaries are, and uh, be able to put your foot down on certain things. Like, doesn't matter. Hmm. Yeah, and and I will say that uh, don't be afraid to allow players to make mistakes uh, as long as you're confident in your ability to punish them logically within the settings. Uh, you know, consistently for the setting. Naturally. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, my final thought, when you're at the end of the world and you're watching it disintegrate before you, kiss the girl. Make sweet love. That's right. Just <laughs> kiss the girl, okay? Don't, don't, don't <laughs> hug her. Yeah. No, kissing Very is good. fine. Kissing Very is fine. That's, that's, all, that's all fine and dandy. It's pure. All right. Very pure. Yeah. Very, very wholesome. I mean, again, Just don't kiss cross don't, species. Don't, what I was, what I'm assen- what essentially we're trying to say is, uh, is, is just be wholesome. 
<laughs> Live up to Mongoose's standard for wholesomeness. Don't. <laughs> better standard for wholesomeness. Lord knows I need help with that. <laughs> yeah, go take the go take the Monster Girl guy's advice on what's wholesome and not. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fine to me. Come on. Uh, I mean, do we do we know? Like, are our minds just so warped by everything we've done on the internet that that we're looking at something that isn't furries and we're like, this is wholesome now. When in reality, like a hundred years ago, we probably would have been put to death for it. You know, is is like, how can we be sure that isn't happening? I often wonder. I mean, that. of course it is. Of course it is. Everything nowadays is so terrible that it'd be <laughs> we'd be put to death for it back then. But you know, this is the current year. I mean, yeah, compared to like you know, childhood drag queens, you know, Alamia is is fairly yeah. wholesome. Well, let's be honest, but still, I, uh, we need to get off of this before we like turn this into another esoteric monster girl shit post again, as is usual and is tradition. <laughs> Especially when you start talking about holes and lamias and cloacas and oh jeez, oh, no, you didn't even have to use any of those <laughs> words. You know, there was no rule that said. John has to say that, but you did anyway. You know, you know, you had a you had a chance to just not say anything, but you know what you did? You said something. Uh, no, no, I had to say it. It, it was in my contract for uh, for doing the the episode. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we really have um, to look over those contracts before we have people sign them. Really, <laughs> I, I I don't remember any contract. Am I getting Jude? Most likely. Uh. Yeah, yeah, no. When you uh, when you had me uh, sign up for being the editor, and then you also stated that if you were to die, the show goes to me. So I've already got the assassins on the way, and I will soon be taking over this empire. Wait, are you are, are you do, are you pulling an Ian Miles Chong? Am I gonna have to go get your dog flashbang because you called in Bitcoin assassins? Is that is that the is that the way things are going now? <laughs> I tried to call in Bitcoin assassins, but unfortunately they were all in that exchange that the owner died, and so I can't access them. So now I've got some angry assassins who are looking at me expecting payment, and things might go south, so I might have to run to Canada. I don't know. Well, if you do, just just make sure you follow through with it. The last time somebody tried to fight a Canadian cokehead, it didn't work out so well for him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get him as a bodyguard. <laughs> Uh, the cokehead or the uh, or the other guy? <laughs> Donga tribe no like mongoose tribe. You pay Donga three super bi- three three bit super berries. Oh, <laughs> mongoose, mongoose. It's time to say no. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there, buddy. There we go. Excellent transition. This is this has been I guess whatever we're doing here. See you guys later. See ya. Bye. Yeah.